HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit hearstranch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Greenhorns, this is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers. And today we're talking about ranching with Joe Morris from Morris Ranch in California. Hi, Joe. Hi, Severin. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. So um, usually we don't have that many ranchers, so this is a very exciting thing. And I thought the first thing to talk about was just a little bit of basics of pasture in California and how you and how you are grazing on it. Okay. All right. Well, um, pasture in California, where we are, is uh, mainly constituted by annual grasses, annual plants, uh, and they're large watersheds, large landscape ranches. Um, and we graze about uh, 5,000 acres uh, on, on three separate ranches. Um, and these, these rangelands are um, they're big watersheds uh, leading down to towns and um, onward to uh, the Pacific Ocean, San Francisco Bay, Monterey Bay, where we are, um, etc. So uh, that's... That's kind of where it is. It rains, uh, hopefully, in the wintertime, anywhere between, you know, November and uh, usually starts to to, uh, dwindle in April and May. And then it's pretty dry for the summer um, and fall between uh, June, even May in some places, all the way until, uh, you know, October or or November. Um, So that's... That's where we are. And so you're grazing there uh, in the summer, in the winter, especially hard, but all year round. 
And how did you get how did you get into this business, and and how have you changed the business that you run since you got into it? Well, I, I, they tell me I was born with my boots on. Um, even though I was born in in San Francisco and raised there, I I um, uh, my grandparents were in the cattle business, and uh, um, I had a and so I would visit them uh, on and during vacations and and so forth, and and uh, and really loved. Being around the animals and uh, the rangelands, and um, and my grandfather was a great California cowboy, which is to say he was a vaquero, and he 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 combined in a in a pretty um, in a beautiful way the uh, you know the love of the ranching business with the love of the the uh, the vaquero heritage, which was the you know the working the working men and women at this point who. Who worked with the animals and took care of the the animals and the land, and it was really beautiful. And so, um, I just was really attracted to that. Um, and so, when I when I uh, when I got out of uh, college, I decided to um, throw my hat in the ring and really try to make some a go of it. So I worked on some very large ranches in Nevada and uh, Arizona. Um, and then after a while, I, I, I made it back to California um, to where I sort of began. And um, so what we've tried to bring to the ranching in California is um, a holistic perspective. Uh, I learned about holistic management from Alan Savory, and um, it just made sense to me that there was... a. Uh, or there could be, a, you know, a symbiotic relationship between grazing animals and the plants they graze, and the soils, and the atmosphere, and and the society around us. And so that's that's what we've tried to implement. And a lot of the the tools and practices that uh, um, the tools of grazing and animal impact that Alan Savory has talked so eloquently about. Um, have been used in California for, you know, for a couple of centuries. But it doesn't mean that they've been used to the benefit of, um, or at least to the potential that they can be used. And so we have tried to explore some of the, uh, and experiment with some of the practices that that, um, that reflect Alan Savory's understanding of how grazing works, how animal impact works, and what he's observed among wild herds We've tried to put that in place and practice that with our domestic herds on annual grasslands in California. And it's been uh, a great but wild ride. And uh, we've learned a ton um, about how these things work, and we're continuing to learn. Um, But uh, it it hasn't really been all that well-received. Ranches are idiosyncratic by nature, and they sort of... Um, keep us at an arm length, or at least at least our our ranching practices. You know, they'll invite me to the the brandings and so forth because I'm capable. But uh, they're they're not that interested in what we're doing on the land. They see it as as uh, more work than is than is necessary and not particularly profitable. And we've tried to. Show but do you that. see do you see a difference? I mean, this is always the question, is how do you transmit such, you know, good practices once you learn them beyond the learner? And But do you see a difference in the land? Like, do, do you have a green, do you have greener hills 
longer, or do you fatten up faster, or do you feel like the drought tolerance of your pastures is is higher because of organic matter, or how do you, to yourself, justify the more work? Well, I think all of the above um, is is uh, is seen on our ranches, um, but not dramatically enough for our neighbors. Um, you know, if you if you come on our ranches, you will notice that there's something different. You'll see riparian areas that have not been fenced out, by the way, that are vigorous and thriving, uh, and 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 the creeks have they're clear and they're and they're running uh, longer and they're um, clean water and they've got vegetated sides and they're beautiful and you know our perennial grass populations are expanding um, what has I think so what we're trying to do now is we're trying to do a better job of producing those things and a better job of what we have probably most seriously missed and that is to document these things um, so that it's not just a story it's driven by data or at least backed up by data. And that's been a challenge. I mean, there's only so many hours in the day, and and uh, my strengths do not lie in in, uh, in the world of, of Excel spreadsheets and, and, and data points. So um, I've been interested in doing the work on the land and hoping that, you know, uh, in, it, as those things produced the beauty and the biodiversity and the thriving ranching culture on my places, people would be more curious. And and I think that is happening. I think without question it's happening. Uh, and now, um, so now it's time to get data. So, so again, this, the data is obviously, you know, science is nice, but explain a little bit what is the potential uh, in terms of ranch lands in the United States and elsewhere in the world what is the potential for that land if we were to manage it and optimize? I'm sorry, there's geese in the background. I need to. <laughs> I I didn't realize they were so talkative, but when I talk, they talk. Um, <laughs> what is the potential in 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 terms of carbon uh, and in terms of uh, the larger ecosystems that these places are a part of? You mentioned this riparian area. Not everyone area is going to know about fencing animals out of riparian areas unless they've been applying for money for, for, for fencing. So maybe those two issues together, if you could answer them. Yeah, I can. I, can, I think. Um, well, I'm not sure we actually know um, what the limits are uh, of the potential of, of rangelands to, to, um, to help the human community out with some of the more intractable problems we're facing these days, namely namely a shortage of water uh, and a changing climate, warming climate, uh, and falling biodiversity and um, people, uh, rural communities leaving the land. Um, those are all very serious problems, and um, uh, healthy rangelands uh, managed. If we improve our management, if we actually uh, explore what the potential is, to um, to really manage well that that relationship between the grazing animals, be they wild or be they domesticated, and the plants that they're grazing, I think there's tremendous potential. I think that that uh, um, uh, the, the you know the annual grasslands in California can become uh, much more um, 
or maybe even predominantly perennial grasslands. And when that happens, you have a series, and this, and this is just through the management of uh, our grazing animals, the grazing that they do and their impact uh, on the land, namely the trampling and, and, uh, and things that affect that, that, car- that cycling of carbon and minerals and, and, and so forth. And what I see on our ranches is we see annual rangelands. First, first what happens is we produce bigger annual, by managing those the plants and animals, we produce bigger amounts of annuals. Then, by using animal impact, we lay that, we eat some of it, and we lay, our animals lay that, they trample down the, the, um, the plants, and they cover the soil, and they put some of that plant material, carbon, biomass, into the soil. And when that happens, we start to see a shift between annual grasses and perennial grasses. And then following that shift, we begin to build root mass and consequently soil deeper and deeper into the soil profile. And when that happens, we are able to hold water, more water, for longer periods of time, which mitigates drought, as you mentioned earlier, uh, and which produces more food, more food for microbes, the bacteria and the fungi and all the other critters below the soil surface, and more food for the communities above the surface, including people. And, and that's a really good thing um, because that mitigation of drought is basically, you know, increased water holding capacity. Um, and it also, uh, when those roots get bigger and deeper, um, what you're basically doing is you're, you're taking carbon from the atmosphere, which we know is in excess, and you're putting it into a place where it can be of real service to the rest of the community. It can be, produce more food, it can be more food, and it can uh, actually be stored there in a very stable place, deep in the soil, for long periods of time. Um, and so as that happens, and this, this productivity of the rangelands improves, that improves the bottom line, the, the economic uh, lives of the people who are doing the work. That makes it more likely that they will continue to do the work, that their lives will be, their work will be more attractive to the kids, the young people, um, and, and as we repopulate our, our, uh, our rural areas, um, we'll have more people doing more stewardship, and this thing will just get better and more interesting. Aha, this overlaps with my interest in environmental 
uh, environmental science, and, uh, um, well, or, or environmental issues, they're a good, a good set of places to write a term paper. Um, okay. So here's a question about viability. How come you have so many thousands of acres, and the really uh, is that the size that you have to have to be economically viable? I'm sorry, Seven, I'm having a little difficulty understanding what that last question was. Yes, sir. The question was, why are you 5,000 acres? Is what you have to be to stay to be viable? How did you choose that size? Well, um, rangelands in California are not that productive. Um, It takes a lot of uh, land to run a single animal unit, uh, 10 to 20 acres. So... um, you know, scale changes around around the the world uh, on rangelands around the world. Which, which, by the way, rangelands are the, are are the most. Um, you know, they cover most of the Earth's surface outside of the ocean. Uh, I'm told, and and they have a tremendous tremendous potential to um, to uh, to have management um, create these effects on rangelands and to sequester carbon in their rangeland soils, because virtually around the globe we'll find rangelands in brittle or dry, semi-arid environments um, are degraded. Um, they, don't, they, 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 they are not uh, rising to their potential in terms of productivity. And productivity, how do we get greater productivity is we first have to move from bare soil or annual grasses um, to covered soil and and, and perennial grass, and that's when we can start seeing this this real boost in in productivity, and and uh, and that productivity feeds lots of diverse life, and it and it you know and that water holding capacity, and all those things sort of fit together. Um, and so in California, the landscapes are just they're just simply larger right now. Um, they're not that productive, and so uh, I didn't particularly set out. To manage any any number of acres, um, I just uh, am trying to make a living and uh, make a you know a middle class living on the central coast, and 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 we do that by managing right now this particular number of acres, and then marketing our our animals as grass fed beef, um, and creating community at every step of the way. The biological communities on the rangeland. Are, are feeding um, the people in towns, and and that's our that's our aim. Our 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 goal is to is to build community and to reunite or sort of um, help people in town understand and feel their relationship to the land from which their food grows. And so, you know that that's that's what we're doing, and that's why we're on five thousand acres right now. And is that is that a similar size uh, kind of unit as most people in around your area, or is that small or large? Uh, it's medium. Um, you know, most of the cattle producers in the United States um, do it on the side. They do it as as a hobby. So most of the herds, I I think I haven't read this data, data in a, or statistic in a while, but they're less than forty animals, or less than fewer than forty fifty animals. So 
Uh, that's not an economic unit. It's not intended as an economic unit. It's intended as an attractive hobby. Um, and so we're not, we don't have that as a hobby. That's our, that's our principal business. And, and so our, our scale is, is larger. Um, and we also have more families and people involved than just the hobbyist would have. Um, there are ranches that are much larger than ours. Um, uh, your sponsor, uh, Harris Ranch, is, is larger than, uh, 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 not Harris Ranch, Hearst Ranch, um, is, is larger than we are by many times. Uh, and then there are lots of smaller ranches as well. So it's a, you know, another complex community. And so the other questions for, I'm sure we're going to get emails asking otherwise if we don't explain. Um, will you explain how there's a difference in the mama cow business from stalkers and, and what we mean by stalkers and what role those stalkers can play healing the landscape? Well, st- stalkers are, um, I think everybody knows what, you know, a cow and a calf is, and so that's the, that's the brood cow herd. Um, and, and then stalkers are generally younger cattle, uh, that are um, seasonal, seasonally or temporarily on any given ranch. Uh, for example, on one of our ranches, we run cattle that actually come from Hawaii, uh, and they are either flown or trucked in, uh, not trucked, but um, uh, come on um, uh, barges from the islands where there is um, insufficient, uh, you know, there's not, there's not that many people. So the animals come over here, and because of uh, relatively inexpensive oil, it, it, it somehow still makes sense. Anyway, they come to our ranches uh, for six months, and under our management, they do beautiful stuff on the land. Um, they do all these things on the land that our, that our mother cow herd does on, on a different ranch. Um, so they can serve a purpose, and they also serve the purpose, uh, particularly I think if, if our audience is, is young people, of it basically serves as, as a loan, not from a bank, but from a fellow rancher who has cattle uh, that you can manage um, and not have a lot of capital uh, to get going. Uh, and we were in that position. We're still in that position. Uh, animals are very expensive, so we... We run other people's cattle, we use other people's money, uh, and we use other people's land, renting land and borrowing from uh, any, uh, you know, banks, friends, etc. And so the people whose cattle that is, the Hawaiian cattle, they pay you a rate per pound gain, or how does, they like, do. what's the... That's how it works. That's how it works. If we... If we manage the animals in a way that they gain they gain weight, they pay us uh, a you know a set amount per per pound of gain, uh, and and every deal is a little bit differently different. Um, sometimes there are incentives for higher weight gains. Sometimes it's a set fee, um, but that's between the rancher the two ranchers. So that sounds like a good segue to my next question, which is exactly as you mentioned, for those who are young people wanting to get into ranching um, and who think, wow, 5,000 acres, um, that's, a, that's not going to happen. Um, what would be the way to get into the industry 
in the beginning, and then what could you kind of expect over the course of a life's work to build up for your kids? Well, I, I think, first of all, I would, I would say that um, if you begin with a thought that that's not going to happen, you're, you're going to produce that thought. And so what I, would, what I would do is I would spend a little time imagining what, what you would like to have happen. Uh, and I wouldn't nail it down as 5,000 acres. I would just write, you know, what, what, what qualities in my life would I like to, to really, um, I would, would like to characterize my, my everyday life. And, uh, and, and for me, that's, that's peacefulness and, and a healthy community. And, and then what, what do you need to do to support that life economically? You need to produce things, uh, one of which is money. Um, and, and if your production um, has to do with land, you're going to want to produce a certain kind of landscape to, that will support that, that, uh, that production, which supports that quality of life forever. And, and that's what Alan Savory calls a holistic goal, and that drives the holistic decision-making process. Um, there's lots of ways into this thing. I didn't begin with 5,000 acres. Uh, I began with 200, um, and I began with some borrowed money, and I began, you know, just going out and doing it on on these 200 acres. And I wanted to do it really, really well. And as I did it really, really well, and I, I leased another 50 acres there and another, you know, 100 acres there, and some some of the places were almost least free. They just wanted management. And so I supplied that. And it was, it was, it was difficult, but you know, that's, that's the way it is. Um, so, and there, and at this point there's, there's ranchers, uh, like myself and, and, um, uh, bigger ranchers who have the capacity to, to hire young people. Um, so, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways of getting into this thing. Um, and I think it all begins with that imagined, what do I want to have happen, reality. Um, and, and frankly, we need, we need people. We need lots of people um, to do this work. Uh, there's risk involved because not everything is, you know, not all the techniques are worked out. Uh, and people are going to have to be very creative on how, how to work them out and how to do the experiments in a way that is... Um, leads to or is economically sound. Um, I think that right now is a good time. I think there's lots of people um, who are interested in these ideas, uh, and there is, um, depending on where you are, there's, there's, you don't have to have a huge amount of land, and there uh, are lands um, you know, that are underutilized because the people who have purchased a farm, say, that's 200 acres and lots of grass and wooded, don't really want to or don't know how to manage. Um, so they, they might, you know, offer the land for just the management. Um, I found those opportunities, and I think, I, think they're, I think they're there. So, yeah. Well, I, I, I very much appreciate your time in explaining these things and encouraging us to pursue our dreams. Uh, You're welcome. And starting small. And, again, so, you know, just from a statistical point of view, it's often said that the average farmer is 57 or 58 years old. 
Um, for right. ranchers, it's more like 60, 65. And yeah. so while that's, that means that we really got to cherish the old timers and get, you know, get near them enough to hear what they have to say, it also means that there's an amazing opportunity right now to be a part of the transition, uh, to be a part of the transition of that stewardship uh, of that land, um, of those existing operations, um, and to bring new operations onto onto land that uh, whose ranchers are retiring. So, yes, it's a scary amount of people who are leaving, uh, but it also means that it's a really tremendous opportunity to increase and improve our management of these rangelands. Yeah, yeah, and and I think another thing that needs to be you know pointed out is that um, while we should honor the the you know the older people who are working on these ranch lands, um, we're no longer limited by the local understanding of things. The local understanding thing of things uh, is really important, and we ought to um, you know respectfully look at that very carefully. But we also have available to us uh, through the Internet and, you know, these conferences that are global in scope, um, lots of wisdom from other communities. And, 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 and often, you know, uh, ecologically, the, you know, the edge effect is where more life happens, most of the life happens, and change happens. And so uh, young people combining with the older uh, generation that, that has the, you know, the local knowledge, combining that with what they can find um, around them in in other places, uh, can really have um, a dramatic effect on on uh, on how well people can succeed in this in this business. That's beautifully said, and a perfect moment to remind our listeners that the Kivira Coalition Conference. It's coming up. It's always in New Mexico, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, and it's always wonderful. This year it's about expanding food production to meet the global, the global demand as humanity increases and explodes. How can we uh, meet, that, meet that appetite? And it's in November. It's the 12th through the 15th of November, I think. Maybe check it. Um, and we'll be there, and a bunch of wonderful speakers are going to be going. I don't know if you're going, Joe, but it's an awesome time. Yeah. Oh, you're no, going. I am. Yeah, and it's the, it's the 14th through the 16th of November. Oh, my and apologies. It, no, that's okay. Two heads are better than one, Severin. And then another, a couple other resources to tag, and, Joe, you can think if you have any to add to this. Holistic Management International has free PDFs on their website that can help you get started thinking about your holistic plan, your holistic goals, um, and how to frame your progress towards those goals. Um, and then, obviously, there's many books by Alan Savory and others that you could pay for, but you can get a lot for free just by Googling. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to add, Joe? Um. Well, what I just said, two heads are better than one. So don't do this in isolation. You know, find a group, find friends, have fun, and, uh, you know, really, really don't be afraid to experiment. Well, that sounds good. And this has been another wonderful session of uh, Greenhorns Radio. 
radio for young farmers and ranchers uh, and by, the, by those same people. And uh, upcoming events, just so you know, we have a farm hack coming up in Ithaca, New York. The focus is on small grains processing. Uh, will be hosted by Cayuga Organics, which is a farmer's cooperative. Um, it's also co-sponsored by Groundswell and uh, NOFA New York. The focus, again, is on hacking equipment, either old or borrowed or broken, to do small-scale grains. Very, very applicable to many of us who are working more grains into rotation. And, and we're planning to do that big drive because Cornell is kind of far away. Um, and there's Farm Hack Brooklyn in November. We have a lot on the schedule, so go check it out at www.thegreenhorn.net. Um, and look forward to speaking with you next week. Bye-bye. Oh, i got to wash my hands. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.